the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God's word isn't conflicting with us. We're conflicting with him. We're conflicting with what he desires for us. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. Well, we're going to get into part two in John chapter seven. I've entitled this message, Waiting. Let's look at our first point here. Where is he? As we read, picking up from where we left off last week, we'll pick up in John chapter seven, verse 11. I'm reading now the New American Standard, of course. It says, so the Jews were seeking him, who? Jesus, at the feast, and they were saying, where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, he is a good man. Oh, Jesus is a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. But when it was now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began to teach. Well, as the people gathered to celebrate the seven-day feast in Jerusalem, again, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths is the same thing. The city was packed, and the topic of conversation again was nothing but Jesus. Even the religious leaders were asking, well, where is he? As the people were debating who Jesus really was. Some said, well, he was a good man, while others thought he was nothing more than a troublemaker. It sounds just like today, does it not? For people are still talking about Jesus. Some say he was a good moral leader. He's one to be admired. Others will say, wait a second, he was more than just a good moral leader. He was a prophet. He was sent from God. While others would claim, nah, he never even existed. Jesus is a figment of your own imagination. He was a fairy tale. Yet still others say he was just a mere man that was married to a woman named Mary Magdalene from the city of Magdala, right there off of the Sea of Galilee. That's what happens when people give themselves books of fiction, and they read them as fact. Remember when the Da Vinci Code came out? Remember they came out with the movie with Tom Hanks and all of that? That was all based on this book whose author's name was Dan Brown. And he used the Gospel of Philip. Now you might be thinking, Gospel of Philip? I don't remember a Gospel of Philip because there wasn't one. Okay, but he used that for a resource for his information. And what Dan Brown leaves out is the reason why the quote gospel of Philip was not included in the Bible is because the gospel of Philip was written by Gnostics. Now, the Gnostics were this group of people who claimed to have gained spiritual knowledge by self-illumination. 
Now, how did they get the self-illumination? Man, who knows what they did, but they got themselves all wound up, and they self-illuminated themselves, and they wrote down what they came up with. It's ridiculous. This is a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, but people will take that, and people took the Da Vinci Code like, oh, this is a serious thing. No, it's just it's, it's heresy at best. But getting back to our text here in the Bible, the Bible says this, that the people, like today, debated who Jesus was. But who did Jesus say that he was? Okay, let's forget what the people were saying who he was. Who did Jesus claim to be? Jesus not only claimed to be God, he was God. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10, 30. We'll look at this more when we get to there in a few more chapters. He says, I and the Father are one. That pretty much sums it up. In John chapter 14, summarizing, Jesus comes to the disciples with, it wasn't good news for them. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to take off, guys. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. But if I go, it's okay. I'll come back, and I'll get you, and I'll take you with me. And you guys know the way that I go. And I can see all the disciples like, okay, now what now? You're leaving us. You're going to go prepare a place. You're coming back for us. But we know the way that you're going. And they're all looking at him like, yeah, that's deep, spiritual. It's kind of like when you were in the seventh grade and they were first dropping, you know, algebra on you, you know, and they're just giving you all this X equals Y. See, before that, it was all cool. You know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, you know, it's plus, it's minus. It's, you know, subtraction, it's addition. It's, you know, you times this, you divide this. Okay, that kind of, I can work with all that. Then you get in the seventh grade, it's algebra. X equals Y equals Z. It's like, what are you talking about? And I remember the first time the teacher wrote it out there and she's X, Y, Z and all this. And you're just looking at it like, huh? And she goes, now, do you guys get it? And everyone in the class is like, mm-hmm. we didn't get anything. We have no clue. And poor Thomas, you know, he's sitting there, you know, and he gets dogged because we call him Doubting Thomas. Is he really doubting? He's just asking the question that everyone else was thinking, but they didn't want to ask it. He goes, uh, excuse me, Lord, um, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. <laughs> okay, so we don't have a clue. I have no GPS. I don't know what you're talking about. Which spurred Jesus to say one of the greatest verses. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. No one goes to the Father but by me. Well, because of Thomas's boldness in asking a question, Philip jumps in now when Jesus says that. He says, oh, so we're going to get to the Father by you? Show us the Father, he said, and that'll satisfy us. Jesus looks into the eyes of Philip and he says, Philip, have you been with me all this time? Don't you get it? Don't you see all the miracles that are happening? Don't you understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I'm the one who came. I am the Savior of Isaiah 43, where God says, I am the only God and I'm the only Savior. It's me. I'm the deliverer who is God. Yes, and that, of course, was the very claim that the religious leaders used to actually crucify Jesus because he claimed to be God. And Pontius Pilate had it written on a sign, and he nailed it to the cross as Jesus hung on the cross to die. It read, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. And the religious leaders came, hey, we don't think he's our king. Well, too bad. That's what you crucified him for, so that's who he is the king of the Jews. That's what he claimed to be. That's why you're crucifying him. And that's what the sign is on his cross. You know, there you go. Yes. Everybody was talking about Jesus. They wondered where he was, which brings up our second point. How can this be? So let's read what he says next in verse 15. It says, and the Jews were then astonished saying, how has this man 
become learned, having never been educated. So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but him who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know the teachings, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? They were all seeking to kill him. Okay. Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses had given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that you circumcise that man, you know, he says, by the law of Moses, will not be broken. Are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Now, what he's saying here, now you have to get what he's saying because he is cutting right to the chase. He is like putting his finger in their problem. All the religious leaders want him dead. Why? Because they're still torqued about what happened two chapters ago. Remember Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda? Remember he walked in and said, excuse me, do you wish to be well? And the man's like, do I wish to be well? I've been laying here for almost 40 years, like four decades of my life. Of course I want to be well. What kind of a question is that? But was it really a crazy question? Do you wish to be well? Are you willing to turn from the sin that got you into this position? Because later on, we found out in chapter 5 that it was because of sin, because Jesus says, go and sin no more. But it's like, he says, are you willing to turn? Because many people will say, I want to be well. I want to be well. But do you want to be well enough to where you will turn from your sin? Do you want to be well enough where you're willing to say, God, not my will in my life, but your will in my life? It's not a crazy question. Jesus asks every one of us here today, do you wish to be well? We say, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm sick of my current circumstances. Then follow me with all of your heart. Because if you wish to be well, then you have to give up these things that are wrong. And so they're still tweaked because Jesus healed that man and told him to rise up to his feet and carry his bed. But it was the Sabbath day. So now he's calling them on the carpet. And he says, wait a second. Don't you guys circumcise on the Sabbath? Because a male child had to be circumcised on the eighth day. And on certain you know, days, that baby had to be circumcised on the Sabbath. He says, well, if you Sabbath by obeying the laws that came down to Moses, then of course, then why are you getting on me? Because I healed an entire man on the Sabbath. He's just calling them on the carpet for their hypocrisy. Goes on in verse 24. Do not judge according to the appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people in Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he is speaking publicly and they are not saying anything to him. And the rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, the Messiah, do they? See, they're just like, wow, man, he's cleaning their clock right now. This is the Messiah. It must be. And they're not doing anything about it because they must know in, inside that it really is him. So after the feast had started, of course, Jesus shows up, heads for the temple, and he's teaching these people publicly. And the religious leaders, it says they were astonished. They were beside themselves. And they were left with this question. How can this be? How does he do this? How can a man 
with no education. We have been educated our whole life to be priests here in Israel. How does this guy, how does he know and teach with such power and with such authority? That word astonished in verse 15, if you have a King James Bible, they use the English word marveled. But really, you go back to the original Greek language, the original language here, that word means to be stricken with sudden fear while at the same time being filled with great wonder and surprise. Like, whoa, is it really the Messiah? Wow, that's crazy. How does he do that? It's like, wow, they just, they couldn't wrap their head around it. Yes, they were set back by Jesus. And shame on those religious leaders for rejecting Jesus. Shame on them. For they should have known who he was. They should have embraced him as the Lord God, Savior of the world. Yet their own jealousy was blinding them. Blinding them and leaving them baffled by Jesus. The lame walked. The blind saw. Yet they could only say to themselves, how does he do this? How can he know the things that he knows? How about this? He's God in the flesh. Because Isaiah told you that there would be a virgin, a maiden, a girl never had sex with anyone. She's going to pop up pregnant. And the man child that comes from her womb will be called Emmanuel. God is with us. Just like he told you. Yes, they didn't get it. You know, I wonder in trying to find our true purpose... Are you living your own life? Are you living it according to your plans? Are you just doing what's happening yourself? How? What is going on here? Do you doubt God's word because you think that his word is conflicting with your way of thinking and your lifestyle? Yet have we thought that maybe, just maybe, it's our way of thinking and our lifestyle that we're living that's conflicting with God's word and his plans for us? God's word isn't conflicting with us. We're conflicting with him. We're conflicting with what he desires for us. And trust me in this, his plan, his purpose for each one of us is way better than our plan is for ourselves. I was talking with this atheist from England and we were both down in New Zealand. So here we are. It was a divine appointment because he's halfway around the world from his house. I'm halfway around the world from my house, yet we're both meeting together down in New Zealand, and I struck up a conversation with this guy. And I'm entrenched with this conversation about Jesus Christ with him for well over an hour. And he finally said to me, he's like, why would I give my life to this God? And when he says, when I have my life already planned out... And I said to him, wow, what an exalted view you must have of yourself. Here you are, and he had already told me he was 25 years old. You're 25 years old, and you have all of life figured out. What a limited view you must have to think that you have become all knowledgeable as God remains in your mind as nothing more than a figment of someone else's imagination. Yet we both live in a world of unexplainable magnificence. Look at everything around you. You're saying, where's God? He's everywhere. It's like walking up and looking at a forest. Where's the forest? I can't see it. All the trees are in the way. It's like, how can you not see God? And I read him this verse out of Romans. In Romans 1.19, it says this, that which is known about God is evident within them. God is saying, it is evident to every person on the planet. Seven billion people, it is evident. Why? 
he goes on to say, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they were there, are without excuse. How can you look at the world today? How can you look at the sun every day coming up? How can you look at the moon and the stars? 100 billion galaxies, 100 billion stars in each one. How can you look at just the things that we take for granted? A baby being born. How does that happen? Oh, well, easy. Science has got it all figured out. The tadpole, do, 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 hits the egg. And they're all like, oh, I don't get in. Oh, boom, one gets in. I'm in. Okay, then the cell splits. Okay, see, the science can tell you every aspect of the pregnancy. They just can't explain this. How does it happen? How does the tadpole and the egg, when it gets together, how does it form a baby? How do bones form? How do fingers happen? How do fingerprints happen that are different on 7 billion people on planet Earth? Why do we all have a tongue print on our tongue that's different than everybody else? How do we have a DNA strand that's different than everyone else? How does this happen? There's no divine intervention here. There's no divine designer behind all the magnificence that we see in the world today. The Bible says you're a fool if you don't believe that there is a God. Yeah, this guy in New Zealand had everything to say to me for a full hour. Yet for a moment, he was silenced. He had nothing to say. Know this. There is a God in heaven, and he came to this earth to live and to die for this, his creation, you and me. Yet these religious leaders of this day here, 2,000 years ago, were not willing to let go of their pride and their arrogance and see that Jesus was everything he claimed to be. And again, reading their minds, Jesus said at the end of verse 19, you seek to kill me. And then they lied, and they said, what? Us? You have a demon. You've lost your mind. Like, let's change the subject. What? Now you're saying that Jesus is demon-possessed. Really? Are you serious? You've got to be kidding me. Yet that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted to kill Jesus. Even the people in verse 25 knew they wanted to kill him and they wanted him dead. But the religious leaders were afraid of confronting Jesus in public because the public loved him so much. And because of those faithful Jews that embraced Jesus, all of his disciples were Jews. We stand here as a mixed crowd from all nations of the world, all different nationalities, all different color skin. And we believe in Christ. Christ is our Messiah because of those faithful Jews that embraced him. Yes, the leader said, we don't even know where Jesus is from. We don't even know where he's at. What do you mean you don't know where he's from or where he was going to come from? It says in Micah 5, 2, he says, Oh, you, Bethlehem, Epaphrata, oh, little among the clans of Judah, one will come for you that was from all eternity. That's where he was from. Well, without question, Jesus was the anointed Messiah. So Jesus cried out in verse 28, you both know me and you know where I'm from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you don't know. He says, you know what the problem is? You know why you're rejecting me? Because you don't even know God. So he's telling the main religious leaders of the day of Jerusalem, of Israel, you don't know God. Because if you knew him, you would know me. Yes, you don't have a clue who God is. Jesus would not let these faithless religious leaders off the hook for one second. 
And they were mad. Look at what they say next in verse 30. Drop down to verse 30. It says, and they were seeking therefore to seize him, that is to kill him. And no man laid his hand on him because his hour was not yet come. Oh no, you're not going to take me yet. This is only chapter seven. I got a lot of stuff to do. You're not going to get me yet. Listen to what those that were sent by the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders of the day, they sent the temple guards to go seize Jesus. Look what the temple guards came back and said in verse 46. Never has a man ever spoken like this. So here's the temple guards. You go out and get them. So they go out there. I can see Jesus sitting on a rock somewhere talking to people, and they just started listening, and they were mesmerized. They were just like marveled. No one, no man has ever spoke like this before. We're not taking them. Not going to happen. They went back empty-handed. Yes, it was not yet his time. He was going to wait a little while longer. He still had work to do. He had lives to touch, disciples to train. Yes, it was going to be a little while longer before he allowed them to nail him to a cross. But make no mistake about it. Like what John the Baptist said, behold, Stop, look, and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to die, just not yet. Which brings up our third and final point. Who is thirsty? Let's pick up and read in verse 37. He says, now on the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Wow. Notice here. Again, it's the last day of the feast. And here's an interesting fact that would happen on the last day of the feast, of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. The high priest would carry back to the temple a golden container of water from the pool of Siloam. And as they came to the temple, three trumpet blasts were made to mark the occasion with joy. Then the people would recite Isaiah 12, 3. Let me read you what they're reciting as he's carrying this water back from Siloam. The people would say, therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. So it's like his symbol of what was going to happen when they were salvation would come upon the people. And, the, and as the priest marched around with the altar with the water and they offered up the sacrifices, thanks to God for his provision for rain. And as this was all happening, as the priests had, had the water in their hand, they're going to offer it to God as a sacrifice. And the people get done reading Isaiah 12, 3 about the springs of salvation coming right there, bing, right on time, planned from this foundation of the world. Jesus stands up. He cries out to everyone, if any man is thirsty, if any woman is thirsty, come to me and drink. Wow. Think about those words for a moment. Drink them into your soul. Hold on. We haven't got to the point yet. No, we have nothing to clap about yet. Oh, it's coming. Okay. Okay, so he says, if anyone is thirsty, you must come and you must drink. How many of us are thirsty? You ever been thirsty before? It's hot. Your mouth is dry like a Sahara desert. It's when you're redefining craving a drink. It's when it's all you can think about. And we can last, as you know, like 40 to 50 days without food. But you can only last three to four days without water. Yet this thirsty is not talking about a glass of water. 
This represents the cravings of every man and every woman on planet earth. It represents their cravings. It's being thirsty for what you don't have. You ever had a thirst like that before? A thirst for fame? A thirst for self-indulgence? A thirst for all the possessions in life that money can buy? But all those thirsts, every time you taste of whatever you finally get, it simply cannot satisfy. Are you thirsty? Jesus, is there anyone thirsty out there today? Are you thirsting for something that can never be satisfied? Secondly, Jesus says, you come. You have to come. Come to him, of course. That word come is a word that expresses action. It requires movement on our part. Jesus is asking us, are you thirsty in life? Are you seeking something that hasn't been able to be satisfied in the soul of your own life? He says, you must come to me. You must move towards me. You must come, and that's what you have to do. See, many people will go to church. Many people will come. They'll come in church doors. They'll come in like you are coming in here today. They'll go to many other churches here on Sunday, and people will come. But do they drink? That's the question. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.